So let's do a quick review. We're in 2 Corinthians. If you're new this morning, either here or online, welcome. And uh, we're in 2 Corinthians. And let's just do a quick review of what we've covered so far. What we've seen is that, first of all, we are the fragrance of Christ, the beautiful perfume of the Lord. Uh, To one person, that fragrance is life. To another person, the fragrance is death. Same fragrance. Smells wonderful to one, stinks to high heaven to another. And it has to do with their reaction to the Lord Jesus, not with us. And so we are responsible for being the fragrance, not the reaction. And I think that's important to remember. Number two, we are his letter of recommendation. What makes us authentic? It is Christ in us. It is Jesus in us that makes us authentic. And and that's what the Lord has been uh, saying. If you read the New Testament over and over, that's what you'll find. He is our letter of recommendation. We are not peddlers of the word of God. He has written on our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And we are to be a people of sincerity commissioned by God. And now we are his letter of recommendation. So he's our letter. See the flip then? Then we become his letter and we need to be good ones. Number three, we are sufficient in Christ. Paul asked the question, who is sufficient for these things? And the answer is nobody, right? None of us are qualified for this and none of us can live up to that standard or measure. But in Christ, the answer is everybody or anybody. All of us are sufficient because of what he's done for us and in us. We are made in Christ, we'll see this in chapter 5 when we get there, ministers of a new covenant. And so we are uh, sufficient because of him. Number three, or number four, we're supposed to live an unveiled life. We are not to be like Moses who veiled his face. We are to live an unveiled life. When, and what that passage said in chapter 3, when anybody turns to the Lord, what? The veil is removed. When anybody turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And where the Lord is, there is freedom. We could spend a lot more time on that, but this is a review. We are not to lose heart. The transformation process is degree by degree. And by the way, thank you all you... I'm reminding how much you loved that diagram last Sunday, and uh, you're, you're welcome. And um, we are to renounce secret and shameful ways, right? In other words, we're to offload that stuff and onload the things of the kingdom more and more. We are not to use deception. We are not to distort the word of God, and we are to appeal to people's consciences in the sight of God. We are also to walk in the light. The last one. It's called the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. We proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus as Lord. We are his servants. And the culmination in verse 6 there says this, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I love that phrasing. Just rolls. Okay? Let light shine out of darkness. God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's a lot of stuff for an intro. Whew, right? But all of this leads this morning to our main thought for the morning. So take your Bibles open up there. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to start with verse 7. So Paul says all of that that we just reviewed, and then he says this. But we have this treasure 
in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Our uh, ladies had a wonderful uh, retreat a couple weeks ago, and the basic theme of all three that shared was crap happens. Okay? That's not a very spiritual way to put it, but it's emotionally accurate. And all three shared enormous difficulties that had come their way in pursuit of life and in their pursuit of Jesus. And the common themes were these. Here's the themes that came out of Women's Street. Number one, don't let resentment and bitterness crush you. Don't let resentment and bitterness crush you. All of them shared the battle and the struggle of not letting resentment and bitterness become the lens through which you look at life. Because if you do, then it shapes everything. You have to look through the lens of the Lord Jesus. And, and so um, they were talking about how the Lord continually bumped them to look at the Lord that way and others in life and not through resentment and bitterness. Number two, to forgive even when you don't want to. This was great because one of the girls said, I do not want to. I said, well, great. What are you going to do? Well, I have to. Said, and by retreat, I'll hope to get there that it'll be okay and I'll want to. <laughs> okay? That forgiveness, that forgiveness isn't optional. They had to forgive as Jesus had forgiven them. And with each of them, I said, by the way, you know this, but just remember, forgiveness doesn't mean trust. Right? I can fully forgive somebody. It doesn't mean I have to trust them. Right? And there's a, that's an important distinction. Number three, to persevere in faith, even though it's difficult. And that's what we'll be talking about this morning. And number four, choose joy in the Lord, even if it doesn't make sense. Right? You, you have to get to the place where you go, you know what? I'm going to choose joy. Joy is a choice. And the more you master that, the more it will fill your life. You don't get very far in reading Paul or the New Testament for that matter before you run into the issue of suffering and persecution, right? Everybody agree with me? Right? If you've read it all, you know that's true. Difficulties, Hardships, trials are all part of the faith journey and the sanctification process. And again, remember, I'll throw it out there for you, the goal of God's will for your life is not happiness. Okay, That's not God's dream for your marriage, it's happiness. That's not God's dream. The goal of God's, God's will for your life is holiness. And He will use whatever sources He can to create holiness for you. Paul does a lot of coaching in this area uh, because the Corinthian church, like us, had a tendency to get deeply discouraged and waffle in their faith and steadfastness in the face of pressure or crisis. What in the world is going on? How could this be happening to us? Paul is now giving insight and encouragement to the Corinthian church. Not only were they battling false teachers, but things had been rough. They had run into opposition uh, difficulties, trials as they try to pursue Jesus and function as a church. And we have got to remember, they had never done this before, right? This was the first time in the history of the world there was a Corinthian church. They didn't have a play script of 100 years to go back to and say, hey, how is that done again? This was the first time through. And so they, they were stressed and tired. Anybody relate to that this morning? Right? Paul is now going to coach them through this section of 2 Corinthians. 
And he begins with a fascinating analogy. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This illustration would have made total sense to a a first century Jewish person, even anybody in that that culture at that time. Um, Jars of clay were used uh, all the time for many and everyday applications, and that was long before they were a top Christian music group in the 90s. Right? We still use them today, although now if you go to Lowe's or wherever, right, they're plastic ones, right? tend to be more common. Uh, terracotta pots are still widely used, especially with plants. And although tremendously useful for a variety of applications, they do have one weakness. They can be fragile. Weather, freezing, expanding roots, or a drop can easily leave one with a cracked pot. It doesn't take much time for them to suffer catastrophic failure. Uh, I went to Lowe's and... uh, Got these. This is a buck twenty-eight special. Okay, pay a dollar twenty-eight for this this kind of pot. And if I drop this on the floor, bang! Right? Doesn't take much. I was going to drop it on there. It wasn't supposed to break, so that broke the whole illustration. All right, but it just goes to tell you, right? They're fragile. In Psalm two, God says He will rule them with a rod of iron. This is a rod of iron. All right. I had a big one. I got a six foot one. I thought, no, nah, that'd just be way too, you know, Conan kind of thing. But you don't have to do much, right? And they break. Esther will get to clean that up after the <laughs> service is done. Don't you feel like that sometimes? Don't you feel like life hits you with things and you crack? The original term for crackpot came from cracked pots, right? And so Paul is using this as an illustration. Uh, or analogy would even be a better word, to describe our bodies and minds. And we can all see the cracks emerge under pressure. You don't have to take too long to watch things start showing up. If you get above 40, especially above 50, it's called the procedure years. Right? And when you get along with your friends, all you do is talk about the different procedures that you've been through because your body is starting to break down. And life can sometimes deliver devastating blows. Right? We've all been there. You get that news, you get that phone call, right? And it's so difficult. And rather than eliminating these, Paul says God actually uses them to reveal his sovereignty and his greatness. Look at what Paul says again. But we have this treasure in what? Jars of clay. That's how our bodies are described, right? Made out of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The power is God's, not ours. We want to be like the Transformers or the Avengers and have the power be ours. It's not. Through our weakness, this is one of the mind-bending truths of the kingdom. Through our weakness, his glory is revealed. It's exactly back opposite of what you would think. And Paul now gives one of the greatest pictures of overcoming faith that is found in the Bible. And the power behind the teaching is actually found what he said earlier in chapter 2. If you go back to chapter 2, look at verse 14. He says this, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. 
Again, the picture here is of the conquering Roman armies, right? We talked about this back when we covered this passage. Returning to Rome with their conquered enemies in tow and going down the Appian Way. And as they did, thousands upon thousands of Roman citizens would line the roadway and they would be celebrating and jeering and mocking the prisoners, throwing things at them. And it's often been used as a picture of the world mocking the persecuted and suffering church. And Paul alludes to this about himself and other apostles in 1 Corinthians 9 when he says this, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. Here's the idea. The church gets crushed, and out of the crush comes the fragrance of Christ. And many come to faith because of it. And so Paul is coaching the Corinthian church in is that they have to learn how to handle the crush. Remember how he used his own crushing as an illustration? Let's look at that list again in 2 Corinthians 11. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. It means he got whipped five times with a cat of nine tails. Just imagine doing that once, let alone five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea and danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from these other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? And I want you to notice in this list, there's two types of crushing, right? The first time of crushing is the physical kind of crushing. That's getting whipped, that's getting stoned, that's getting beaten with rods. We would say that in our culture, getting punched out, Right? But the second kind is the mental or emotional crushing. It's the weight that was on Paul's shoulders for all these churches that in his mind he had no idea if they'd survive past three months or not. And remember, they did not have Instagram, they did not have cell phones, they did not have the internet, they did not have any of the modern devices. Often it would take six to eight weeks before they could even figure out if things are going well or not. That would test our patience, wouldn't it? But what Paul's saying is we have to hand, learn to handle the crushing. Either one. Life has an amazing way of being able to crush us. And so with this idea, he's launching into the crushing by highlighting the sovereignty of God, the amazing grace of Jesus, and the anchoring and empowering of the grace from the Holy Spirit, which is on full display here. Remember what he led with? We are what? Jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Then he proceeds to highlight the crushing. Look what he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. 
For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. And so death is at work in us, but life in you. In here, Paul lists four different kinds of crushing with a corresponding counter. Let's look at these four kinds of crushing. Four kinds of crushing, let's see, it says, we're afflicted in every way but not crushed. We're perplexed but not driven to despair. We're persecuted but not forsaken. We're struck down but not destroyed. Let's look at each of these just really quickly. Afflicted in every way but not crushed. Uh, affliction, the definition of affliction is something that causes pain or suffering. Right? Synonyms. Look at the synonyms here for, for this. Distress, pain, trouble, misery, wretchedness, hardship, misfortune, adverse, adversity, sorrow, torment, tribulation, woe. That's a delightful list, right? We already saw that Paul described, uh, do you remember his, what he called his affliction in Asia when he was either in Troas or on his way to Troas? And remember that nobody knows what that is, but it was... It was very severe. It was terrifying, and it left its mark on Paul. You can tell it was overwhelming when he states it like this. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. In other words, this is way beyond even what I, the Apostle Paul, could even ramp up to. And his description of the emotional impact is telling also, we despaired of life itself. The list we saw before in uh, 4, 8 through 12 is a list of afflictions that beset Paul's entire career. And the point being is that Paul's afflictions weren't made up. And neither are ours. They are very real. They are very hard. And they hurt. And they always last longer than we want them to. You ever notice that? Paul adds something very significant to this thought. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. So much of the New Testament is about hanging in there, persevering, enduring, being steadfast, continuing in the faith. Paul is saying here that he wasn't crushed because he had a kingdom mindset. He kept his focus on Christ. He saw the bigger picture. Look at 2 Corinthians 1, 9-10. Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death. In other words, when whatever was going on in that affliction in Asia by Troas, when they walked up to it, they looked at it and went, this is a death sentence. Anybody ever been there? It's over. Done. You get the diagnosis. You're, right? Or some of us have been in cars heading towards telephone poles going, this is it. Right? Paul says that the oh sorry I lost my place here said they heard so much of the New Testament was hanging in there there we go it's a kingdom mindset in other words you have to keep a mind on the bigger picture uh, Proverbs twenty four sixteen says this for the righteous falls seven times and rises again but the wicked stumble in times of calamity in other words there's something about the Christian believer that enables them to get back up and it's not them they're just a pot they're just a jar of clay. What helps them get back up? It's the Holy Spirit. Come on, we can do this. Let's go, lean in, follow me. It's hope that keeps, afflict, keeps you going in affliction. Plus experience, 
What do I mean by experience? Well, Paul had seen the Lord deliver him many times. Uh, Pam and I, when we were discussing this and weighing this, we said, you know what? This isn't that hard. We've been here many times before. We've seen the Lord do this and be really faithful. This is not a big thing. It's not so hard. We can do this because we had experience. Paul had trusted the Lord to deliver him before in the past, and he trusted him to deliver him now. And the whole point can be best summed up with this. Don't quit. Okay, the number one thing that is going on in Christian believers today is they're quitting. It's too hard. I don't like it. It's not fun anymore. Who ever said the Christian life would be fun or that you had to like it? It was about following Christ. And Paul is saying, don't quit. Paul did not quit. That's what he's telling the Corinthian church. Keep relying on God, even in the midst of affliction. Set your hope on Christ. A poem by uh, Edgar Albert Guest captures the spirit of this, and it goes like this. When things go wrong, and they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, anybody been there? Right? When funds are low and debts are high, you want to smile, but you have to sigh. When care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is weird with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns. And many a fellow turns about when he might have won, had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to a faint and faltering man. Often the struggler has given up when he might have won the victor's cup. And he learned too late when night came down how close he was to the golden crown. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And you never can tell how close you are. You may be near when it seems afar. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worse, you mustn't quit. And I believe that's the spirit and the tone of the age for the church today. Don't quit. If you are faltering, don't quit. Go and talk to somebody. Start praying. Get back in your Bible. Don't give up. Don't just roll over. In wrestling, in high school, in college, anybody who just rolled over, we called them a fish. Okay? And the reason why is we grew up with rivers in Wisconsin and only dead fish floated downstream. The live ones swam up. Right? So don't be a fish, was what we said. And that's what God's saying is, don't be a fish. Don't just roll over. How did Paul say it? Don't lose heart. Remember that? Don't lose heart. Okay? Being perplexed, but not in despair. Perplexed means completely baffled or very puzzled. To the point where that means you had a script, you had a, a picture of how things were supposed to go or the way they should go, and you were thinking that through, and then something happened, and it just blew all that apart. And your world makes no sense anymore. It, you didn't have a category for that. You don't, you're scrambled. You don't know what to do with it. Uh, it's really hard. For example, world events really have people in a state of anxiety and perplexity right now. Right? They are really stirred up. You have the Ukrainian-Russian war. Right now, Israel and Iran is a hot spot. Israel's on full alert. Uh, it is a scary moment right there. You have chi- China and Taiwan. 
On the home front, we have Buffalo, Ovalde, and the Texas massacres. We have Roe versus Wade. We have supply chain issues. We have debt issues. We have identity issues. We have leadership issues. We have issue issues. Okay? It is so easy to just run off of anxiety as the gas tank of life and just get completely messed up. And Paul's saying, don't do that. What's going on here? Well, this is when nothing makes sense anymore. And it might help to note that Paul struggled with this. Remember while in Troas, he could not, when he was in Troas, he could not figure things out. What did he say? I got up and I left. So even the apostle Paul struggled with this. He was baffled to the point where he couldn't get it figured out. And life can do that to us sometimes, can it? Often, there are what I call missing pieces and if you can't find those pieces they don't allow you to put the whole puzzle together and here's what scripture is saying it's all right to be baffled but there's a very thin line between perplexed and despair christians know that god plays the long game and that while the immediate circumstances might be totally going in the wrong direction and and i believe most of us have been there done that okay I, I doubt, unless you're younger, you might not have hit that wall yet, but there come places where you go, how in the world is this going to work out? Right? But while there are immediate circumstances that might be totally going in the wrong directions, God's sovereignty, His omniscience, and His omnipresence rule the day in history. And even that can be perplexing because we can't see it. Why? Because we are located in time. We must remember that God is not. Paul knew what it was like to be baffled and yet still trust in God, even when he didn't do it perfectly. He knew what it was to trust. He knew what it meant to depend. There's this famous passage also found in 2 Corinthians that kind of highlights this. It's Paul's famous thorn in the flesh. Remember that passage? Uh, It'll be up on the screen for you. This is in uh, chapter 12. He says, three times, he had this problem that was bugging him. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he, God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will both, I was thinking about this, by the way, Saturday night, uh, I was downstairs and Pam came downstairs. She goes, you're all right? And I go, no, not so much. And uh, I have polycystic, polycystic kidneys. And one of the cysts on my kidneys decided to make itself known. All right? And uh, so I was buckled over, doubled, and uh, in we ran uh, to the hospital, right? And uh, so jars of clay, crackpots, I'm, I'm that. And, uh, you know, I want God to fix that. I don't need to run to the hospital. That costs money. Can't you just, come on, let's get going here. Any of you ever do that with God? Right? Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. He's begging God. He is desperate that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content. Key word. I am content with weakness. Insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamity. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So what changed? Paul or his circumstances? It was Paul, wasn't it? Paul adjusted to the grace of God, not the other way around. Was it easy? Was it fun? Absolutely not. But what does he say? For the sake of Christ, I am 
What's the word up there? Content. I can be patient. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Perplexing, again, absolutely. Despair, not at all, because I know that Christ reigns. Then Paul goes on, persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. When I first came to Christ, um, Richard Warmbrand's life and book, Tortured for Christ, uh, brought this to life in ways that startled and thrilled me. If you've never read that book, I'd encourage you to do it. He is the force behind the movement and the ministry we know today as Voice of the Martyrs. And uh, it's an incredible ministry to the persecuted church in our world. Fox's Book of Martyrs also catalogs the incredible presence of God with those who are being killed for Christ. And Paul was using his battles to help strengthen and model for the Corinthians and us how to respond when it's really hard and desperate. Look at what he says. He says, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. How does that work? Well, I'll give you an illustration here. This is, uh, our friend Doug Porter put this together for me. He's a genius with this kind of stuff. But this is a crack pot. I bought this at Lowe's also. This is uh, more like $5. Really went all out, okay? There was one for 60. I said, no, I'm not doing that. Uh, but got this. And um, the thing about the cracks, what's this passage saying here? Look at it again. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. What happens when the cracks show up? Well, the light of Christ starts to show up. And here's the thing. When the culture gets darker, and the culture starts to go black, the light of Christ shows brighter and brighter, and people will see it because they know there's no earthly way you could have done that unless somebody else was helping you. Who was the one who's helping you? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for that illustration. It's a beautiful one. Thank you for the way you have Uh, Put this morning together, and Lord, we seek you as a church. Will you help us step well? Will you help us move forward? Will you help um, fill the place again with people? Lord, And we give this up to you and uh, trust you in the timing. And Lord, this was a perfect message for this morning. We bless you for it. Give that to you in your name. Amen.